Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Us for your care over us, for your desire to bring us close together. May we be open to that this morning. May we recognize, Lord, those areas in our life that need some adjusting. May we recognize, Lord, those areas in our life that look too much like the world. May we understand, Lord, your desire for our lives. And Lord, be able to live that out. Lord, I thank you for your word, for your love, for your people who continue to serve. Lord, we ask that you would bless this group. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are unable to be with us. Lord, I pray that they would be reminded of your love this morning as well. That they would feel the sense of you upon them this morning as they worship with us in a different way. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. That you would guide their path and their plan. And Lord, we just thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture this morning and for the next two weeks, for this week and next week we will be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I encourage you to reflect, to spend some time in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll look at the first half this week and the second half next week. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and John Bray's opposed Moses so all these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because in, that, in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. May God add his blessing to the reading this morning as we prepare our hearts to sit around the table. Children's Church is now going. Dun, 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 dun.
Nothing good, nothing like a good sound of kids going by, right? Or the breeze, yeah, the breeze that comes with it. My heart is broken. My heart is broken this morning. I came to a realization this week, and it broke my heart. And my prayer is that your heart will be broken as well. It happened during our normal FaceTime. FaceTime with our granddaughter. When I realized, not that I didn't ever know, but I realized that through no fault of her own, her life will be much more difficult than if she would have just been born white. That through no fault of her own, that people will see her differently. That there'll be an extra glance or comments through no fault of her own that her life will be a bit harder. Sure, mom is blonde-haired, blue-eyed, full-blooded American, but dad is dark-skinned, dark hair, Korean. And through no fault of her own, she will have a more difficult life. I no longer had to worry or wonder about why they would want to live in such a huge city with so much diversity. Why they would want to live where the streets were bustling and it was crowded. And be completely honest, all skin colors were okay. It really came to notice when they used to, my girls used to tell me, Dad, you live in a very white area. And I used to just kind of laughingly joke that, leave that go and just kind of let it go. And, but it came to mind this, this week when we watched our granddaughter tried to figure out life at a one at one year old and realize that this world that she's about to walk into is a mess just like you and I had no choice in the matter of our skin color or the eye color or our hair color or lack of hair for some of us she had no choice in her skin color. And it took me to a place of wondering, what does God think of, of skin color? Parable in Matthew that talks about Jesus leaving the 99 to get the one Speaks nothing of the color of the sheep. I'd like to think it's this way. 
You might not, but that's okay. If we look at Genesis where God says he created us in the image, we are created in the image of God, Omega Dei. It speaks nothing of color, of race, of ethnicity. If you're starting to feel a bit uncomfortable, that's okay. I'm not comfortable either. You see, I told my wife, is it 80 degrees in here? She said, no, it's not. It's 90, yeah. (laughs) As I spent the week watching TV and the riots and just the mess, the death of George Floyd and just, just the fiasco of the world we were in, I couldn't help but come to this passage. And I don't know if you looked at the title. Sometimes people don't, nobody ever responds about the title. Um, But that's okay. But I couldn't help but think, what do I expect in this world? What did I expect to happen in this world? Timothy is being told by Paul, here's what you're going to see. Here's what it's going to look like. Are we in the last days? That's a great question. A lot of people are saying, oh, we're in the last days. We might be in the last days. We're really close to the last days. I know this. Jesus left the earth. He's coming back to the earth. And somewhere in between there's the last day. I don't know where it's at. You don't know where it's at. I'd like to think that it was, but on the other hand, it doesn't seem near bad enough to me. If you read any of that revelation, and you realize that a third of this and a third of the animals and a third of the people and a third, and you go down through that list pretty quickly, you realize that we we aren't near that at all. So I don't have that answer. Wouldn't it be great if I could tell you that these are the last days or these aren't? But I can tell you is this. The way that Paul explains it sounds a whole lot more familiar to me. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the part that really gets me. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And so, what did I expect? I should expect nothing less than what we're seeing today. And I'm reminded of the scripture in John 16.33. It says, in this world you will have trouble, but be brave. I have defeated or have, I have defeated the world. I, or in your NIV it would say, I have overcome the world. We should expect nothing less than what we're seeing, church. What we're seeing is not any different than what Paul was seeing back then. The question is, how will you respond to what you're seeing? Will you immediately take a side? 
which is what our natural desire to do, right? It is our natural desire to take a side, to say, listen, but I, this is what happened, and we want to defend that situation. None of us were there. So we really don't know. We can make assumptions. We can take the media. We can try to blend it up. We can do a lot, all kinds of things, but we really don't know. Here's what I do know. That a man created in God's image was needlessly killed. That's what I know. I don't like all the rhetoric on either side of it. I'm complete honesty. I despise politics for that reason. Let's take it to where it belongs. A man needlessly died, and his image, he bore the image of God. I know that's uncomfortable. But if we don't start doing something different, we will never change it. And I'm not the only one with a grandchild who's biracial or a family member who's married in or who has been adopted or who is connected. I'm not the only person who has never worked or who hasn't worked with a black person or someone of different ethnicity. We have those people in our lives, and at this point, at some point, we have to stand up. Because if we don't, we'll allow it to continue. And I'm not saying that from a political stance. I'm saying that from a Christian follower of Jesus' stance. That people's lives are important. Jesus went to that cross for white people and Asian people and black people. And they were all created in his image. And I know that that's uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable for me. And I had a rough week trying to come to terms with all of it because it's easy to be white and think about white things. It's easy. My grandfather was a racist. He struggled with that. Doesn't make it right. Church, are we going to be like the world? Or are we going to be like followers of Jesus? I asked myself, if Jesus was here today, how would he respond? We know how he would respond. He'd be the first one to come alongside It's hard, and yet we're called as believers in Christ to live our life differently. This passage isn't all about race or ethnicity, but it sure does fit this week. So let me give you a picture of our current world. And today's going to feel a little bit hard and a little bit rough and a little bit not so happy but I encourage you to do one thing. Don't give up on me. Give me next week. Read 2 Timothy, the rest of the passage, and read it all together. One, there's like, I don't know, 18, 17 verses. Read the other half, because the first nine verses, which is what I'm looking at today, is the hard part. But then there's the second half of what a believer in Christ looks like. And it spells out, and we'll talk about it next week. We're going to see that.
Give me a chance. The first thing, the, first, uh, the picture of our current world is a powerless faith. A powerless faith. Verse 5 says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And I have to ask myself, every time that I see something happen on the news, and you can ask my wife, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not pointing a finger here at all. Every time I watch the news, I get frustrated. And she probably thinks I'm ridiculous. Because I'm yelling at a TV. Who cares zero about what I'm saying? So much so that I just have quit really watching it because I just can't handle it. It just seems too far out there for me. And everything is skewed one way or the other. I have to ask myself in those moments, where's my faith? Where is my faith when I can't get past watching the stupid TV without getting so frustrated that I never want to watch the TV again and if I had a brick, I'd throw it through the TV? Where's my faith? Is God still in control? Absolutely. Do I live that way? Not always. Now I'm reminded of the scripture in Matthew 10. The hairs on our head are numbered by God. Do you really think that if he knows our every intimate detail of our lives that he has forgotten about what's going on in the world around us? Do you think somehow he just decided, well, I'll count your hairs, but I'm not going to take care of all your other needs? That's what I need in those, excuse me, those moments. Probably my wife to say, hey, where's your faith? Maybe that would, I'll put it on her. How about that? That's what I do. That's what you do. <laughs> put it on your spouse. Because <laughs> I, I, she doesn't lose her cool, I do. <laughs> Our God is still in control. In the midst of death, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of riots, and peaceful protests, in the midst of brother hating brother and father hating son, and all those things that Scripture reminds us are going to happen that I am seeing and I know the humans on both sides. God is still in control. In the midst of not being able to see our family members, in the midst of being restricted where we can go and what we can do. God is still in control. Please don't lose sight of that. What do you expect the world to look like? Roses and unicorns? Do you want the truth? Read the book by Walter Rangerin. Uh, I won't be able to, the title escapes me at the moment. I, want, I, think, uh, I think it's cause for Christ, but I might be wrong. No, it's not that. Anyway, 
if you, if you type in Walter Rangren in Google, you'll find out. He talks a lot about um, the martyrs and those who have suffered for the faith. And he spends a lot of time feeling bad for Americans who don't even know what it means to suffer for their faith. If we think it's going to get better and sweeter and easier, we're on the wrong path. This scripture says, listen, it's only going to get uglier. So don't expect anything less. Dig deeper in the faith. Find God in the midst of it. It's not going to get easy. I read a commentary this week about this verse in chapter, uh, verse 5, and it says, this, it, it said, they set their notions in their heads, yet they felt nothing of the power in their hearts. Having a form of godliness, but this denying its power. Our current world is full of powerless faith. Church, we are to be full of power, the power that God leads us in and directs us to. He said these people also look like they're loaded down with sin. I can't believe how many times I've spent time with people that say, I want to get right with God and, and refuse to change something in their life that they know full out, full well, uh, have been convicted of as a sin and will not change it and wonder why God won't bless them. And usually what happens is how it works. It's one sin on top of another sin on top of another sin on top of another sin until we've piled up so much that we don't know how to get from where we are to where we need to be. One of the blessings, I think, of finding Christ at an early age that I never really thought much about was I at least knew from a very early age what was right and what was wrong. What God knew, that doesn't mean I did it all right and wrong. Trust me, you can, there's lots of good stories. But what I did was very early on, I understood what was right and what was wrong. My parents did a good job of teaching me that mouthing off was wrong. Remember the soap illustration? That lying was wrong. I learned some of those things at an early age, and now I am thankful because I didn't have to move so far. I still did them. I did some of them. So did the rest of you. But I didn't have to move as far. Because what I see in sin is this. It piles on us so much that we can no longer walk, and now we're crawling, and we're barely moving, and barely can move forward. And we wonder why God won't bless us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 reminds us. It says, throw off. Oh, this is a paraphrase of it. Throw off the extra baggage. Get rid of the sin that trips you up and fix your eyes on Jesus. So simple and yet so powerful. Get rid of the things that continue to weigh you down.
Finally, the third thing that Paul tells Timothy that really stuck out for me was the current world manipulates the truth. Brentley and I were discussing whether the guys' names are Ombres and Giannis, Janus and Jombres, or we didn't really ever figure it out. We just made fun of it. By the way, this is the only time they're noticed, they're mentioned in Scripture. They were magicians. And not in Scripture is it identified, but in other historical books. They were the sorcerers um, that were there when Moses and Aaron were in front of the uh, Pharaoh. And when they threw down the, the rod and it turned into a snake, and it says in there that sorcerers uh, then used their magic arts, sleight of hand, to make uh, uh, something turn into a snake as well. And so they get mentioned in this scripture for that one reason. They manipulated the truth. Because we know magicians are really just illusionists. They're not really doing what you think they're doing. They're just doing something that makes you wonder how they could ever do that. The scripture in uh, verse 8 says that they're always learning but never able to come to the true knowledge of the truth. So that means we read and understand the Bible, we understand what it means to follow, but we aren't able to put it in our heart where it belongs. Manipulating the truth. I want to show you this picture. I I think this is a pretty cool picture. A drop of blood with the reflection of an empty cross. Change begins in the deepest, darkest, most sacred part of our lives. The part that no one else can see. The part that's broken and hurt. Some people like to call it their closet, do they not? That's where change begins. See, I believe that in that spot is a spot for God. And for some of us, we've tried all our lives to fill that with stuff. We've tried to fill that in with, I'm good enough on my own, or I can do it without God. I have enough money, I have enough resources or family, or friends, or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. And the reality is, there's only one thing that fills that spot. But the change begins inside of us. Us. Me and God. (coughs) Excuse me. That drop of blood has to be a part of our lives. We have to recognize that Jesus died for me. He died for all the other people too. They may not accept, but it's not about them. It's about me. It's about me and God. And it begins on the inside. Where color doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. Eye color doesn't matter. Hair color doesn't matter. 
Because if we're all created in the image of God and we all look differently, that means all the things we can see in our lives really mean nothing. It's about our hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word this morning. Although tough to hear, tough to preach, tough to recognize, Lord, how hard it can be to hear that in our lives, Lord, we have changes that we need to make. Remind us (coughs) that, Lord, it's our heart that's most important. You desire a relationship with us. You desire us, Lord, to come to you, to have our hearts changed, that we might grow and be strengthened in your love. Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who hasn't started that relationship with you yet, that this morning would be the morning that they would come to you. In your name we pray. Amen.